It was what seemed to be an impossible task, a fool's errand. Who would undertake it and why? Could the fate of a world be trusted to people so seemingly insignificant? This scene from the 2001 cinematic retelling of J.R.R. Tolkien's literary fantasy masterpiece represents a turning point for the character Bilbo Baggins. He had only meant to deliver his, uh, his uncle's mysterious ring to a council which would decide its fate and call for this weapon of a malevolent enemy to be destroyed. But adventures were for someone else. They were not for him. Stories were created by odd folks who would throw their lives away, who would live dangerously. And yet something stirred in him within that moment, a calling to something greater than himself with people different than himself, different skill sets, different talents, one mission. What if I told you this morning that there was a greater calling for your life? And what if at the beginning of 2019, as we're getting ready to enter a new year, what if you began to explore what God might do in and through you? 
What if there were some deeper questions about your purpose and why you are here today? Not why are you on this earth here and what your significance is, but why are you, specifically you, right here in this place today at this time to hear this message? What does God want to do in you today? To take this question a little further, what are the things in your life right now that require you to have faith? Or to put this another way, what are the things in your life right now that if God does not show up, that you are ruined? What are the things that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God desires that you know that you cannot do by yourself? Some might call this a crisis in identity. Maybe, maybe you're at a place today where you are asking some of these questions. And perhaps there are circumstances that are right in front of you. Maybe it's a job environment that's shifting or the dynamics of a relationship changing. Maybe somebody's entering or leaving your family. And whatever the circumstances that you find yourself This crisis point is a place where you have a decision to make. You have to choose what you will do next. For the sake of the message this morning, I'd like to call this a Jonah moment. We're going to be covering a few key moments in the life of this Old Testament prophet. But to be clear, what I'm talking about when I say a Jonah moment, we're going to put a definition up here on the screen. A Jonah moment is that moment where the mission of God, the journey that you're on, and the thing that God has already given to you all intersect. And the next choice that you make will determine the quality of the outcome. If, if you aren't familiar with Jonah, there's a small book in the Old Testament which shares Jonah's bizarre adventure. I want to give you the short version of Jonah's story before we jump specifically into, uh, into chapter four here. Jonah was a prophet of God, which means that his whole job is to speak on behalf of God, to warn Israel about their future trajectory based on the prophet's evaluation and God's messaging about Israel's past and where they find themselves to be presently. Yet in a twist that no one saw coming, God calls Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh, an enemy city, because God wants to save it. This would have been incredibly offensive to the people of that day. Not only was was Nineveh the enemy, but they had zero regard for God. They worshipped Dagon. Dagon was a half-man, half-fish baddie who was also Baal's daddy. And if you are familiar with enough of the Old Testament, uh, many of the conflicts that take place, many of the religious conflicts center around Baal worship in Israel. It was detestable, it was ugly, it was reproachful, not only to God, but to to people looking on it. And And if that was bad enough, you can imagine how much worse the worship of Dagon was. But the God of Israel wanted their attention, and he sent Jonah to get it. 
Now, instead of doing this, and this is not a terribly bright idea, Jonah hops on a boat and goes the opposite direction from where God told him to go. And he doesn't even keep it a secret. The boat hits storms, the sailors get scared, and they know Jonah's story, and Jonah does the logical thing. He tells them to throw him overboard. Reluctantly, they comply. A giant fish swallows Jonah up, and three days later, he's delivered as a hot mess on the shore before traveling to Nineveh. From there, he goes into the city or a grouping of cities spanning the circumference of about 60 miles. He preaches. They repent. And God holds off on destroying them. End of story, right? Wrong. Now, before we get into the text here, uh, if you've ever had an ounce of skepticism, about Christianity or the Bible, Jonah probably appears in the category of low-hanging fruit that it's easy to pick off because it's a fish story of biblical proportion. But I would contend that the book of Jonah has incredible value to it, not because it's simply in the Bible, but because it's ugly and it's honest. And Jesus himself not only refers to it but he validates his claim by telling crowds of people that they are about to witness something so audacious as what the people in Jonah's day witnessed. Three days, three days in the grave, a resurrection and great redemption. All right, now that you have the backstory, Let's go ahead and dive in. This is going to be on page uh, 754 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. It's Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, remember, all of this stuff that just happened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's now better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which, crawled the plant, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about a plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry. I wish I, wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and so many animals? 
Isn't that a great ending? That's it. Jonah cries over a plant. End of story. Okay, you needed to hear the ending before we go on because remember, Jonah is a prophet. His story, his story serves as a cautionary tale. But this is where we have the benefit of history. Being able to look back and not miss out on understanding our mission. Inviting God into our journey and letting him use our thing and take his lead on what to do next. And we're gonna set Jonah's story aside for a second and come back to it because there are three questions that we need to ask in order to understand both the tragedy and the hope of Jonah's story. Question number one is, what is my mission? What is my mission? So what is it? Is it a place? Is it a time? Is it a thing? What is my mission? Well, my mission is the same as yours if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. The mission of the Christian life is to actively participate in God's rescue mission and redemptive work. Well, how? How do we do this? We do this by living out the Great Commission in the spirit of the great commandments as we gather together and as we scatter as the church. What does that look like? The, the Great Commission is a statement that, that are among some of, of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. This is found in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. You could call this letter A in your notes, our mission commission. This is our mission commission. And then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Scatter. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Gather. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You know, I've been over this passage countless times and one of the things that amazes me every, every time that I read this is this. If all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and we have a partnership, we have a relationship and there are times throughout Scripture in which, in which the writers of Scripture liken the church to being the bride of Christ. As a husband, if my wife asks for something, I'm not going to withhold it from her if I know that it's to her benefit. And if all authority on heaven and earth has been given to the bridegroom, Jesus, how much will this loving husband take care of his church and not only give them everything that they need, but promise to be with them always to the very end of the age? You see, we're empowered. We're empowered to do the things within this commission because of that simple statement. And he also empowers us to keep letter B 
the commands. These are found in, in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now hear me out here. I think some, sometimes it's, it's really, really easy for us to get wrapped up in identifying love in a statement like this as an overall acceptance of, of all things. Like we hear love God and love people, but Jesus would clarify in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Within these commands, we're given the mission to run from sin, from those things which would damage our relationship with God and with others, to speak lovingly to one another, to share in each other's joys, to pray for each other, encourage one another, to be generous, to be gracious, to safeguard the church from false teachings, to lovingly rebuke each other when correction is needed, ultimately helping us to obey everything that God has commanded in order to reflect Jesus in all that we do and all that we say. And these two passages are so integral to living out the calling that God has placed on each and every one of us. That's right, God has called you. You are called by God to himself for his purposes. Let me say that again. You are called by God to himself for his purposes, which is lived out through your quest. This is the second point here. What is my quest? Well, your quest is the journey that you take to live out your calling. Your quest is where you find yourself right now your current life circumstances, your job, your geographic location, your neighborhood, and, and the path of your quest takes is influenced by your experiences and, and, and your circumstances. And if you're living on the mission that Jesus has called us to, your current quest will connect you with people which you will interact with daily whom you may be the only picture of Jesus that they get to see. Well, your mission never changes, your quest may. Think about it like this. You may change jobs. You may move into a new neighborhood. You may get married. You may graduate. You may change classrooms, uh, get new neighbors. Your quest is the uniquely strategic position in which God ha has placed you. And remember from the Great Commission, he is with you in the middle of it. He has given you not only the, the opportunity to be in relationship with him, but he has also given you his Holy Spirit empowering you to complete the quest that he's set before you. Which brings us to the next intersection in the Jonah moment. Your thing. Well, what is your thing? It's not what you have in your pockets. Well, it may, maybe. Your thing is the area that God has given you an unshakable passion and the skills to match to see his kingdom advanced. 
Let me say that again. Your thing is the area that God has given you an unshakable passion and the skills to match to see his kingdom advanced. I want to share an incredible piece of news with you this morning. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Okay, all right. I just want to make sure you're still with me. All right. Did you know, did you know that you do not need to be a pastor in order to be used by God? Awesome. Did you also know that God is so incredibly pleased and he is cheering you on when you do your thing with excellence? Did you know that? And I'm not trying to downplay pastoral ministry because I love being in pastoral ministry, but, but I believe that right alongside of, of passionate preachers in the pulpit that he also desires to fill the market with passionately skilled and godly nurses and nannies, lawyers and welders, teachers and engineers, programmers and scientists, artists and authors, bricklayers, filmmakers and dancers, financial advisors and chicken fryers, police officers, podcasters, and even by his strength and grace alone, politicians, all working their craft as though they are working for Jesus himself. Do you catch it? This is a picture of what the church is. This is a picture that we get in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul writes about the church being like a body with Christ being the head which steers it. And he would go on to write to the Colossian church this. He would say, and whatever you do, I love that all-inclusive phrase there, and whatever you do, significant, seemingly insignificant, whatever you do, do it all. Not part of it, not some of it, not 99.999% of it. Sorry, antibacterial hand sanitizer. It's just not cutting it. Do all of it. Do it all for the glory of God. And how beautiful and how freeing it is to know that God has provided such a broad entry point for us to become a part of his redemptive plan for the world. I love the, uh, the scene that I just showed here because each, uh, each one of the members of this fellowship had a different skill set. I love them going down the, uh, the list of like, and you have my sword and my axe and my bow and whatever. I know I got that in the wrong order, but, uh, but I love that unique nature of the different skill sets that are brought to the proverbial table. Because not only... Not only has God provided this entry point for all of us to participate within his rescue mission, but as followers of Jesus, God calls you a righteous priest. I'm not talking like 80s righteous priest, though. I mean, you guys are that too. But you are the pastor of your thing. You are the pastor of your thing. And what excites me so much is that when the church begins to understand these concepts and begins to live them out, we start seeing inroads made into enemy territories. These places that were thought lost and, and unrede unredeemable. 
And as a result of, of seeing people live, living in their giftings and their passions that God has placed in them, people are reaching out boldly into ridiculous places. Like just as ridiculous as it was for Jonah to go to Nineveh, we have people that are reaching, uh, reaching into the darkest places of the pornography industry, bringing the redemption of Jesus into those places, drawing people out with the good news that God still loves them and that they are not too far gone for redemption. We're seeing, we're seeing excellence in art as, as people are, who are, with people who aren't satisfied with anything less than reflecting the excellence of their creator. I love this year in the, in the Washington Times, a, a pastor by the name of Matthew Susie was, was highlighted because Matthew is known as Pastor Susie on the internet. He has a, he has a following on, on twitch.tv. It's, a, it's a, a website where people go to watch other people play video games. And if you're wondering why anybody would uh, watch somebody play video games, why do you watch football? Get out in the field and play if you love it so much. All right, I'm done. No, but seriously, like the, the Washington Times covered uh, uh, Pastor Susie's story um, because this dude runs a church service with his wife every week on the internet and has had millions of people who have been touched by this man's ministry. I love it. It's unconventional. But this is where God is leveraging people's things to bring the good news of Jesus into places where it may not have existed before. A few years back, we had uh, some missionaries here uh, that, that came to visit and share with us the, uh, the, the Gallant family. And they shared uh, their passion uh, with us about the, the country of Cambodia that they were, uh, that they were reaching into. And, and their passion was this, no dark places. Their, their passion was to see no more dark places in the country of Cambodia. May we be a part of a movement in the church that is not only sending out ourselves, but we're sending out generations into fields where there are no dark places and that the glory of God is being brought into those places. Because when you allow God to use your thing to his glory, you start to make headway on your quest, assisting in the fulfillment of God's mission. If you have ever struggled to wrap your head around that idea of your, your job or your, you know, your thing or whatever you do, being able to be used for God's glory, I wanna give you some good news. Uh, in February, we are partnering with, uh, with Right Now uh, Media, and we're gonna have a, a, a seminar here on February the 23rd. It's gonna be an all-day seminar that's, on, that's all about work as worship. You're gonna hear from, from professionals from a bunch of different industries that are gonna share how they, how they worship through their work and, and, and encourage you and how to do that too. Okay, so some of you are probably wondering, is this still Jonah's story? Like, what does this have to do with him and what does this have to do with me? Well, it is still Jonah's story. And while Jonah didn't have the benefit of sitting under the teaching of Jesus, God still admonished the Israelites to love him with all their heart, 
mind, soul, and strength, and to not love their neighbor as themselves, not holding grudges against them. That's found in Leviticus 19.18. He would have known this. Not only that, Jonah, Jonah was on a mission from God to redeem the Ninevite people and draw them back to himself. Jonah knew that this was God's mission and rather than gladly joining it, he pouts. He says, God, I knew that you're gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger. You're pounding in love? Why are you gonna be like that? Jonah knew God's mission. He knew the mercies of God for his creation. He also knew his past as a prophet. And he had seen time and time again repentance at God's message. But Jonah's passion was misplaced. His zeal was more towards maintaining something than rescuing. In his zeal for Israel, Jonah couldn't see past Israel's redemption and their restoration. He longed for the destruction of Israel's enemies, including the Ninevites. And in the end, Jonah was more concerned with his comfort and the shade that he got from a plant that wasn't his own. But he couldn't be bothered by the impending destruction of 120,000 plus people because they were different. And God called him out on it. And for all of time since, Jonah's story has ended in embarrassment. But remember though, Jesus redeems Jonah's story by mirroring the events of Jonah's journey, but with different results. Because Jesus' mission was also the mission of God. And his quest was also God's quest. But his thing, his very life was summed up in in his own words, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, God is calling you and me to himself. And your quest to leverage your thing in order to redeem this church, this community, and your relationships through his work in and through you in all that you do. You know, just down the, the road here, there's a city limits sign for the city of Eau Claire. And while I don't have the, the exact number on me for what the population of the city in Eau, of Eau Claire has, it's about 70,000 people. It's less than Nineveh. But there are people who are all around us in every direction who need to see Jesus accurately lived out in their lives. And you, each and every one of you, may be the only picture of Jesus that they get to see. And it's gonna take us thinking about those things and maybe doing things a little bit differently than we've always done.
But the beauty is that we don't do it alone. Is it an audacious thing? Eh, maybe slightly. But how wonderful is it that God wants to partner with you? And now you have a choice to make. This is your Jonah moment. It's your mission, quest, thing. Where are you going? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Even though this, uh, the story of Jonah's, I'm, I'm sure, didn't end in this moment. This is just the end that we have recorded here. God, sometimes it's, it's easy for us to, to look at where we are and, and, and be focused on, on us. Maybe on our, not only what we have or protecting what we have, but maybe our own limitations too. But you, the God of the universe, uh, stepped into your creation to, to make a way for us to be in right relationship with, with you and you want to partner with us to bring your redemptive work into this world. To see your kingdom come and your will be done. And so God, I thank you so much for, for how you have uniquely and wonderfully made and equipped every person in this room. God, thank you for the areas of ministry that are different than mine. God, thank you for all of the, the different professions that are represented in this room and the people who get to be the pastor of that thing wherever they go. So God, I pray that you would embolden us and empower us to walk in that mission through our quest by our things. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.